Welcome to Unreconstructed, brought to you by confederateshop.com. Here's your host, Matt Miller. Hello and welcome to the Unreconstructed podcast. On this episode, I am going to be talking about Stonewall Jackson, also known as Thomas Jonathan Stonewall Jackson, which his real name was. But he, he gained the name Stonewall in the First Battle of Manassas, or First Battle of Bull Run, as it's also known as. And his troops saw him, saw him standing there in fire in uh, a hailstorm of bullets and shell, and he was standing there like a stone wall. And so that's how he got the name Stonewall Jackson. And when he lost his left arm at the... Uh, Battle of Chancellorsville there, actually by his own troops, Lee said, Jackson lost his left arm and I have lost my right. He was a very important part to the Army of Northern Virginia and a very important part to Robert E. Lee. And the reason why I wanted to talk about him is because I'm a huge fan of Stonewall Jackson. And more recently, because it was his birthday, I started noticing other videos on YouTube and some art historical articles of the modern academics really being critical of Stonewall Jackson and being very harsh on him as if he was some kind of weirdo. And um, as modern historians do, they, they try to be very critical of our Confederate ancestors and our Confederate heroes in the first place. But if there's any kind of quirk, uh, they're going to latch onto that, and then they're going to exploit it, and and they've done that with the with the lemon myth about Jackson, you know, loved lemons, lemons. He was some kind of lemon weirdo, um, but I'm not going to discredit the fact that Jackson did have some very strange quirks about him. He had some qualities that were we might say even today were just not uh, not normal, but I think if you study the man like any other part of history it kind of all makes sense. Um, I think any of us would have some strange quirks if we had experienced the life that Stonewall Jackson or Thomas Jonathan Jackson did uh, you know, prior to the war, prior to becoming this famous general that he was and this, this general and southern hero admired by both North and South, and that's historically proven, admired by both North and South. And I can prove that. Actually, I, on, on a previous podcast, I believe, believe I even read a story from a famous anti-slavery abolitionist who on the death of Jackson was praising Jackson's faith and how wonderful of a leader he was and how they wish we, they had him on his side. But anyway, um, so Jackson was loved by both North and South, but he had some strange quirks about him. And the reason why was because he... he had a, a very rough childhood and you know his father died his mother couldn't take care of him so his mother separated him and his sister he he was given to his uncle to be raised at Jackson's Mill in what is now West Virginia um, and his uncle was well according to uh, uh, Bud Robertson's book which is fantastic by the way if you ever want to know the life story of Stonewall Jackson it's a tomb of a book it's a huge book but it is very fascinating it's very interesting and I highly recommend it it actually is very engaging you'd think a book that long would be boring it's not 
but in the details of his, there's some very good details of his in his life that Bud Robertson outlines in that book. And one of the things that he says is Jackson's uh, uncle was not really a personable kind of guy. He wasn't kind of like the good old boy uncle that just loves on you and you know wants to take you fishing and wants to do all these other things. No, it was just kind of like you're here. You he, you do your duties and you do your job and that's it. But so Jackson, he really didn't grow up with a with a close loving family. He didn't have a formal education. His appointment at West Point was kind of a luck thing because he wanted to go to West Point, but he didn't get the appointment. But the people that did, one of the person, one of the people that did get the appointment to West Point had dropped out last minute, and so he took the place, took the position. So he got to go to West Point. Of course, he didn't have a formal education going to West Point, so he had to learn, start from the bottom of the totem pole and work his way all the way up. And I've heard, I've heard a historical account say one time that if Jackson were given another year or two at West Point, he would have been the top of his class. So when he graduated, he didn't graduate at the top of his class, but he graduated much higher uh, than a lot of other people who had formal educations. So he had... He had quite the journey growing up. He was a veteran of the Mexican-American War. He saw some action there. He experimented with with his faith. Um, he ended up marrying, and um, this was prior to the war between the states. He ended up marrying, and then he 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 always wanted a family. That was one thing that Jackson uh, did did talk about, and people knew about him. He did want a family, and. Uh, he lost his wife and his first child in childbirth. So if you just think about those few things that would happen in your life, um, they're pretty traumatic. So they did create a person that had some quirkiness to him. He probably had some some anxiety. He probably had some things that, that drove him to to want to try to gain control over his environment. So we have... You know, stories of he would take on specific uh, eating regimens where he would just maybe eat bread and water. Um, he didn't he didn't eat pepper because he said it made his joints hurt. Uh, he liked to um, actually he liked to do some things that that science has proven is very beneficial. He liked to get outside in the sun. He liked to to swim in in uh, in, in in springs. Um, so he had some quirkiness and strangeness about him. Um, as one historian, a historian friend of mine put it, when he was talking about the relationship that Jackson had with a local uh, general that is famous around here in the Shenandoah Valley, Turner Ashby, he, he, he said compared to Turner Ashby, Stonewall Jackson was kind of the man that uh, you would go to a party, and he would he would kind of be the guy that was over in the corner, kind of not talking to anybody, kind of keeping to himself. Um, whereas you know Turner Ashby was kind of the everybody's friend and very outgoing and and just very charming, and you know so that personality really clashed with some of the other Confederate uh, generals and and people around him uh, throughout his career, and that's well known in many history books, you know, whether it's a, whether it's kind of a, a clash with uh, A.P. Hill or, you know, certain people didn't kind of like Jackson's style. 
a lot of these other generals were uh, what we would classify as kind of like normal. But all of this this hatred that is coming out that Jackson was just some kooky weirdo, I think is a little too far. He had some strange strange oddities about him, um, but he was by no means a uh, freak when it came to uh, lemons. Uh, that historical story is just a it's a myth. It just so happened that one of the historical accounts recorded him eating a lemon, and uh, because it was commercially convenient at the time to have a lemon, and the historical account, of course, ran with it. You know, maybe a hundred guys or however many passerby saw him sucking on a lemon because it was convenient at the time. He had a lemon uh, that they thought he was some kind of weirdo with lemons. So that's the lemon story, right? We've heard other things too. That he was a religious fanatic. Uh, you can take that however you want. I mean, the the left today are they call us fanatics if we adhere to the word of God with anything, right? Jackson was just serious about his faith, and rightly so. In those times when you could die suddenly over anything, right? I mean, Jackson lost his wife and his first child. He's remarried again. His wife's pregnant. What do you think he's thinking? Do you think he's having any fear or anxiety over the fact that he lost his first wife and child? I mean, he probably did. What are you going to do in those times when anything can literally kill you, right? Including your your own body if you get a normal sickness that today we would get over quite quickly. Um, He's going to dig into his faith. And that is apparent in many of the historical accounts that we see. Um, His favorite scripture verse, Romans 8.28 which, by the way, there's a book that I have to mention. It is uh, Stonewall Jackson's verse by Dr. Ron Rumberg. I will reference that. I'll put a link at the bottom of this podcast episode. If you have not read that book and you're a Christian, it is a phenomenal, phenomenal book. It's one of my favorite books on Stonewall Jackson, and I need to do a hidden gem video about that book because it is so good. It's been a couple years since I've read it, but I need to reread it again. But Back to what his his favorite scripture verse was, Romans 8.28, and it says, For all things happen for good to those who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Romans 8.28, essentially, I'm just interpreting it for you. If you can't understand it, it's everything happens. If you love God, you're in his will. doesn't matter what happens. Uh, it's all for your good. It's all going to work out. The Lord is going to, in his providential sovereignty, is going to work out what is going on? Uh, it's in the providence of God because all things happen for good to those who love God. So Jackson took that very seriously. And in battle, uh, there was another general, I believe it was Imboden, if I'm not mistaken, uh, asked, asked him, General, why can you, how can you stay so calm in the midst of battle when these shells and bullets are whizzing around you? And how can you remain so calm and at peace? And he said, my religious faith teaches me to be as calm and as, as in battle as in bed. God's fixed a time for my death. I'm not going to worry about it. And so Jackson's faith was, was very serious. And people might think that he's a religious fanatic. But how many of those other guys out there put the action behind the words? I think that it's very fair that Jackson had the religious faith and fervor that he did. And that is probably what made him the greatest, one of the greatest Confederate generals, at least according to Robert E. Lee. Jackson did some amazing things 
as a military leader that when you study, well, actually, I'd say probably even military history studies it today. Um, but the reason, another reason why I was talking about Jackson uh, in this episode is because a historian friend of mine brought me a story printed off from the Shenandoah Herald from 1903, and it's a story that an Indiana veteran, a, a Union Yankee veteran from Dillsboro, Indiana, recounted in a newspaper, and the newspaper in Shenandoah uh, published it. And essentially, the story, and I'm going to read it here, the story is about an Indiana veteran witnessing who he thought was Stonewall Jackson, pretending he was a Union officer in order to cross a bridge that was occupied by federal forces. And he gets away with it. Jackson gets away with it. And the Indiana officer is telling this story and recounting it, claiming, you know, does, has anybody, does anybody remember this? Because I am fairly certain, and I'd bet money on it, it was Stonewall Jackson. And I can't believe he had such tenacity and bravery to do something with such cool and calm as he did. But this story is very interesting, and that's why I'm going to read it. The following letter refers to an incident at the Battle of Port Republic, which has been related in various ways in which our readers will readily recall. Dillsboro, Indiana, November 21st, 1896, Postmaster, Port Republic, Virginia. My dear sir, I was a member of Company A, 7th Virginia Volunteer Infantry, and on the 8th of June, 1862, while in the capacity of a mounted escort, together with about half a dozen others, had possession of and had kindled a fire on the bridge which spans the Shenandoah at your place, when an officer, representing himself to be McDowell's chief of staff, appeared on the scene and had the fire extinguished, and at the same time telling us the positions of Fremont, Banks, and Shields, and also that McDowell, who was in charge of the expedition, was readily advancing down the road, while our division, Shields, was just coming in sight from below in the direction of Luray. After telling us to look well to our safety and to hold the bridge at all hazards, as Stonewall Jackson was already in our grasp, provided the bridge was saved so McDowell's and Shields' commands could cross over, he then said that he would uh, ride over to the other end of the bridge to reconnoiter and, of course, never returned alone. He would have been riddled with bullets, but for the stern orders of Captain Lustutter of Shield Staff, who was on the ground and was the only commissioned officer and was satisfied that it was all straight goods. But he changed his mind when twenty or more pieces of artillery opened on us from the top of the hill, which were masked to represent covered wagons. Now, my belief always has been that the mysterious officer was none other than T.J. Jackson, taking into consideration the reputation of the little band of scouts as determined and desperate men. You can at once see the wonderful amount of cool, level-headed nerve it took to cross the bridge and join his command. Now, I would be pleased to have you... Uh, hand this to some one of Stonewall's men who may be able to solve the mystery of the gallant and lone horseman, H.C. Wheeler. So there you have it. That's a fairly interesting story of uh, Stonewall Jackson. I don't know what you think. Do you think that was Stonewall Jackson? 
this uh, Union Union veteran definitely thought it was. It was obviously a uh, Confederate of some sorts. I think it was because this man probably recounts uh, who he saw, saw Jackson's picture, and you know obviously in this letter believes that it was Jackson. I just find it fascinating uh, because it's just another piece of history that goes into the character of Jackson that he would be so calm and as this veteran said, level-headed to do such a dangerous thing. I mean, if you're caught, you're, I mean, you're a valuable piece of, you're a valuable prisoner, but you know, your life is in jeopardy. And I found it fairly interesting, this story. So I don't know, what are your thoughts? I'll leave a comment section below. You can tell me what your thoughts are. I think Jackson is just like Robert E. Lee, needs to be idolized, needs to be remembered and his legacy needs to be honored because there's nothing but good about Jackson. I think there's very little that we could be critical of Jackson. And they try. The modern historians try. They try to call him kooky. They try to call him weird. Did he have some strange things about him? Sure. But look at all of what he accomplished. And then look at his background. Look at his childhood. Judge him from there because I think anyone who grew up that way would have some odd characteristics about them. So folks, Next time someone tries to hate on Stonewall Jackson, just remember all these truths here. And let's honor our Confederate ancestors. Let's honor those Confederate dead like Stonewall Jackson. Honor the good that they accomplished. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Unreconstructed Podcast. Y'all have a good rest of your day.